Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have some uh, some great guests uh, to join us today from Pennsylvania, our friend uh, Jerry Polakoff to look at polls. We'll actually be going to Washington, D.C. to uh, to talk with Heather Dahl, about the presidential debates. Heather works for the uh, Capitol Hill Bureau of Public Radio International. And then we're in our third segment today, we'll go over to Sacramento to talk to our old pal Gary Chu about the subject he loves so much, movies. Let us start off with a story that I've been sitting on for a week, and uh, it's time to talk about the fact that evangelist Jimmy Swaggart had some complaints filed against him last week after, during one of his broadcasts, he said, quote, I've never seen a man in my life I wanted to marry, and I'm going to be blunt and plain. If one ever looks at me like that, I'm going to kill him and tell God he died, Swaggart said to laughter and applause from his congregation. When people complained, Swaggart said he had jokingly used the expression killing someone and telling God he died thousands of times before, and he said the expression is figurative and not meant to harm. It's a humorous statement that doesn't mean anything. You can't lie to God. It's ridiculous. Swaggart told the Associated Press. Here's the part I like. If it's an insult, and I certainly don't think it was, but if they are offended, then I certainly offer an apology. Now, I don't see how, how gay people could possibly think that was an insult. Imagine if he said about a black person, I'm going to kill him and tell God he died. Well, not, not that I mean any offense against black people. For those who don't remember, in 1987, Jimmy Swaggart was involved in a sex scandal involving a prostitute he met in a seedy New Orleans motel. Swaggart never confessed anything more than an unspecified sin, but did say crying, blubbering, I would say, blubbering and crying on his television show, I've sinned. This gave a chance for uh, porn king Larry Flint to actually uh, seek out the prostitute and have a photo pictorial of the hotel room and what it was Swaggart had asked her to do, which um, I'm vague on the details, frankly, and I don't think I'd repeat them even if I wasn't, but but, uh, her summary of Jimmy Swaggart was, he's kind of a pervert. This uh, poor, unfortunate woman did match the description of her hotel room as a, a seedy New Orleans location. Seedy indeed. Oh, and a couple of years after that, Swaggart was arrested in Southern California after driving erratically. Police reported that he apparently lunged, they later determined, to try and pull the penthouse magazine, which had been lying in view, below the sight of police, which frankly probably wouldn't have attracted any police attention if he hadn't have, you know, made this sudden maneuver. Of course, the fact that he had what appeared to be a prostitute in the car with him when he was pulled over did arouse some further suspicions. Mr. Swaggart is certainly a piece of work. Balancing this off somewhat is an onion. Uh, 
headline from last week off my Onion calendar, which I thought was rather amusing. Headline, Gay Pride Parade Sets Mainstream Acceptance of Gays Back 50 Years. Dateline, West Hollywood. The mainstream acceptance of gays and lesbians, a hard-won civil rights victory gained through decades of struggle against prejudice and discrimination, was set back at least 50 years Saturday in the wake of the annual Los Angeles Gay Pride Parade. I'd always thought gays were regular people, just like you and me, and that the stereotype of homosexuals as hedonistic, sex-crazed deviants was just a destructive myth, said mother of four, Hannah Jarrett. Mortified at the sight of 17 tanned and oiled boys cavorting in jockstraps to a throbbing techno beat on a float shaped like an enormous phallus, she said, boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Fair and balanced. That's Radio Parallax. (laughs) One of our favorites every week is This Modern World, which appears locally in the Sacramento News and Review. I loved uh, the first two bubbles of the the, the strip of a couple weeks ago. Eerie parallels, it said. John Kerry's embroiled in a controversy about his military service. Man Man in panel. He claims to have been very, very heroic, but he may have been actually only heroic. Other man. Well, then he's lost my vote. Next panel. And so is George W. Bush. Man. There's a mountain of evidence that he pulled strings to get into the National Guard, but then went AWOL. But a couple of memos may have been fakes. Woman. Well, then we clearly need to spend the next two months discussing minutia of typesetting. Yes, it appears the Republicans have now made uh, Dan Rather and CBS an issue. Never mind the fact that the facts as presented in those memos appear to be true, and that the woman who typed up the memos said, oh yeah, I typed up memos like this, but those are fake. The fact that CBS was suckered by fake memos is the entire issue. Never mind the fact that it was the White House's refusal to dispute those documents that led CBS to think, aha, they're genuine. As we said on last week's program, whatever you do, please don't throw me in the briar patch. So, CBS's parent company, Viacom, reacts as follows. Yesterday's B, 60 Minutes Iraq report held by CBS. CBS News has shelved a 60 Minutes report on the rationale for war in Iraq because it would be, quote, inappropriate, unquote, to air it so close to the presidential election, the network said. The report on weapons of mass destruction was set to air September 8th, but was put off in favor of a story on President Bush's National Guard Service, the story, apparently. The Guard story was discredited because it relied on documents impugning Bush's service that were apparently fake. CBS News spokeswoman Kelly Edwards would not elaborate on why the timing of the Iraq report was considered inappropriate. The report was originally scheduled for June, but was delayed because of new developments, Edwards said. That report, I believe, was about the Niger yellow cake uranium supposedly sold to Iraq that Ambassador Joseph Wilson was involved in investigating. Ambassador Wilson will be appearing at the Mondavi Center on October 18th, and we strongly suggest that you uh, attend that or uh, follow um, the discussion that takes place between Ambassador Wilson and Dr. Bob Arnott, reporter. We want to uh, doff our hat on this program to Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger for the following item on the 22nd of this month. The governor vetoed AB 858 
authored by Assemblywoman Jackie Goldberg, Democrat Los Angeles, that would have banned the use of the term redskin for sports teams. The governor had complained in a radio interview the week before about the blizzard of silly bills sent him by the legislature and cited the school mascot legislation. Goldberg said, however, the term redskin offends American Indians and resurrects a painful period in their history. Apparently, uh, Assemblywoman Jackie Goldberg has never been down to Navajo Indian country, where I spent um, many weeks uh, working uh, in in recent years. The people down there wear Washington Redskins gear and Dallas Cowboys gear and Atlanta Braves gear with uh, Indian logos and mascots on them all the time. I mean, I I suppose there are some people out there that are offended by it, but it does not seem to be the majority in my experience. So it is a silly bill. Thank you, Governor, for vetoing it. Doesn't the legislature have better things to do with its time? And I suppose while we're at it, we ought to also uh, doff our hat to the Republican-dominated United States House of Representatives for voting to uh, relax rules on travel to Cuba going up against the Bush administration's Cuba policy openly. It's an incredibly stupid policy of the Bush administration to uh, do further harm to the poor people trying to live in Fidel Castro's Cuba. Uh, It's bad for people in the U.S. that would like to trade with Cuba, and it's certainly bad for Cubans that need American goods and will like to trade with us. It's election year politics with an eye on the 27 Florida electoral votes. If they pass this, though, it's a certain that, certainly that Bush will veto the legislation. Incidentally, I believe that George Bush has yet to veto any legislation, making him the first president in well over a century to be in office four years and not veto anything. It's very strange. Well, maybe it's not so strange if you figure that the GOP does control the Senate and the House, but, uh, well, this is, this is one bill I hope that gets before him that, it, that he does veto, that at least people can see uh, the fact that the House is doing the right thing and the Senate. Another interesting item from the United States Congress didn't get too much notice. Uh, this was, uh, I've got a dateline September 10th here, item from the Associated Press. House International Relations Committee Chairman Henry Hyde, Republican Illinois, had put out a resolution into the House that uh, commemorated the third anniversary of the September 11th attacks and tied them to the war on Iraq. These types of resolutions are generally uh, non-controversial, but uh, tying the war to Iraq, the war against Iraq with 9-11, did cause 16 lawmakers to vote against it, 15 Democrats and one Republican. I do find it rather depressing to see that it did pass 406 to 16, with Henry Hyde responding to critics by saying, there is a direct connection between the war in Iraq and the bombing of September 11th. Congressman Hyde, however, neglected to elaborate on his remark and be a little more specific as to what he meant. And since that one got my adrenaline pumping a little bit, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's take an item here from the Atlantic Monthly, the September issue of this year, citing the fact that Shortly after Donald Rumsfeld was appointed Secretary of Defense, the Department of Defense website posted a list of Rumsfeld's rules for government, business, and life. The rules, which the new secretary had begun touting in the mid-1970s while serving as Chief of Staff for President Gerald Ford, were frequently cited as a blueprint for his managerial style. But it would appear that over the years, Rumsfeld may have drifted away from some of those rules, which are as follows. Establish good relations between the Departments of Defense and State, 
the National Security Council, CIA, and the Office of Management and Budget. Don't divide the world into them and us. Don't do or say things you would not like to see on the front page of the Washington Post. (laughs) I especially like this one. If you follow up, tell the president and correct it fast. Delay only compounds mistakes. And this one. Be able to resign. It will improve your value to the president and do wonders for your performance. And finally, this one. It is easier to get into something than to get out of it. Pearls of Wisdom from the current Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld. And if you don't get why those are funny, you really ought to be listening to Radio Parallax a little more often. Let's grab a couple technology items here. Um, There's a picture here in The Economist, September 18th issue, showing what looks to be airplane wings on catamarans. Well, apparently that's kind of what they are. Someone has discovered that fixed wing sails placed on catamarans take advantage of the aerodynamics of airplane wings to make them sail much faster than conventional sails. It appears as though the America's Cup is going to be settled uh, by a couple of racers using this strange-looking kind of watercraft. You may want to go on the web or grab a copy of the magazine. This looks like an airplane wing sticking straight up in the air coming out of the middle of a catamaran. Very strange. From the same magazine, technology pullout section, um, fascinating article about passwords, computer passwords. Uh, You know, people are supposed to remember all these different passwords. It's an unbelievable headache. You know what I'm talking about. And people use common words as passwords. Hello, God, sex. Half of them choose family or pet names. The third choose the names of celebrities. Makes life pretty easy for malicious hackers. Well, this company, Real User in Maryland, has come up with uh, an idea of using pass faces, a random series of faces shown in sequence that uh, has you then have to guess. Well, not guess. You remember the sequence of the faces, and you're shown them with eight other faces, and you have to pick out your correct face out of the bunch in the sequence. Now, it sounds hard. But our brain is able to remember a series of faces much easier than you might think. This is something that we normally do. Now, there's, there's things that you we're sort of, you know, we've evolved to do very well. One of them is remember geography, remember faces. Um, it was a trick in ancient times. People had to remember long, long passages of, of works of literature to think of a room and objects in the room and able to link the passages to an objects in an imaginary room. Well, this this has great pro- this is probably going to work. And it, the trouble is it's not a password you can pass on to anybody else. You have to remember the sequence. It'll it'll certainly have a downside, but uh, you know, at last you may not have to remember, you know, 50 different passwords for 50 different uh, systems you use on your computer. I find it pretty darn interesting. Let's go uh, two more science items and then take a break here. Um, Item number one, New Scientist magazine. Off-roaders kick up dust storms. As four-wheel drives replace camels in deserts around the world, they're leaving the desert's fragile surface scarred, eroded, and blowing in the wind. Fifty years of satellite imaging reveal that dust storms originating in areas such as the Sahara have increased tenfold. Desert surfaces have been stable for thousands of years because they usually have a thin layer of lichen or algae or gravel from which the fine sand has blown away, explains Alexander Goody of the University of Oxford. 
but increasing use of Toyota Land Cruisers and similar vehicles is scarring the protective surface layer. Once these surfaces are breached, you get down into fine sand again, which can be picked up by the wind. Every year, up to 3 billion tons, billion tons, is blown around the world from deserts. Saharan dust has destroyed coral reefs 6,000 kilometers away in the Caribbean. You know, one more reason not to buy an SUV. Though I can understand if you do live in northern Chad, it would offer some advantages over a camel. All right, last item. It's a good idea. We just can't get it right yet. Uh, probiotics, good bacteria, seem like they would help prevent disease, but a study of people uh, that get infections in the throat or intestines after taking antibiotics were found to have um, no advantage from using these so-called good bacteria. People still got fungal infections known as thrush, Anyway, now the idea is, is sound, taking probiotics to maintain or reestablish populations of harmless bugs uh, should in theory prevent things like a competition from uh, fungi, which then cause these uh, thrush infections, which people are familiar with if you've had uh, children, they commonly occur in, in babies' mouths. Uh, so people try to use live yogurt cultures containing lactobacillus bacteria. Well, it seems like it ought to work, but a study done in Australia People were given um, given antibiotics and then either a uh, either a, a probiotic agents or nothing and uh, no clear cut advantage. Too bad. Stay tuned for our second segment. We'll be talking to our good friend, poll watcher Jerry Polikoff. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. <laughs> 